The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m., and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. In today's message, we look at the first half of the last sermon preached from the Zion Primitive Baptist pulpit in our sermon series on the book of Haggai. You may recall that after the children of Israel who returned from the Babylonian captivity overcame their 15 years of complacency and started to rebuild the temple again, it wasn't long before discouragement arose. God mercifully sent them a message of encouragement through the mouth of the prophet Haggai. First he said, look upward, look to me, I'll be with you. Then he said, look inward, examine yourselves, examine the sin in your lives and purge it and examine your faith and build it up. And today we begin looking at the last message of encouragement, which pointed them to the future and told them to look forward. There are some things coming that will be more glorious than anything they've ever experienced. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. I know that I...
book of Haggai, we find the prophet Haggai being told to go to God's people who have returned from the Babylonian captivity. You'll notice that in the very first chapter, in the first verse, we're told that it's in the second year of Darius the king, who was, I believe, the second king of the Persians. If you remember your history of Israel, Israel had gone into captivity into Babylon 70 years before this. God had promised that they would be chastened by being carried captive. And there's a lot of reasons they were chastened. There was a lot of idolatry in Judah. You may recall that David was the king of the United Kingdom of, of, of Israel. Uh, both the northern and the southern parts were together at that point. Actually, Saul was the first king, and then David was the second king, and Solomon followed him. But after Solomon, the kingdom split into two. It became the northern kingdoms, which were basically ten tribes, and that was known as Israel. And the southern kingdoms, which was the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, was known as Judah. And that southern kingdom is the place where, in, in, where Jerusalem was located. And, and so the descendants of David continued to sit on that throne, as God had promised that they would, right up until the time of the Babylonian captivity. But the descendants of David weren't as faithful as David. And in fact, there were quite a few unfaithful kings until it finally culminated in a king named Manasseh. Manasseh was the most wicked of all the kings of Judah. He was so wicked that in the last chapter or so of 2 Kings and the last chapter or so of 2 Chronicles, we're told that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was sent upon the nation of Judah to chasten them because of what Manasseh did. Now, Manasseh wasn't the only bad king, but he was the worst of them. And what he had done is he had set up idols in the temple. He had set up idols all over the nation of Judah. And ultimately, he had made his own children pass through the fire, which is a euphemism for sacrificing them to the gods of the Canaanites. He was such a wicked king that he shed innocent blood, and we're told God will not pardon that. Now, let me just say that doesn't mean in an eternal sense because there's nothing that the blood of Christ doesn't cover, but in a, in a, in a timely sense, the shedding of innocent blood is something that God hates. And God punished the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah rather, because of the sins of Manasseh. Now, one little caveat, Brother Mackey, one little side story here. If you go read in the book of 2 Chronicles about Manasseh, you're going to find out something amazing about Manasseh, this most wicked king of all. Manasseh, I believe, was a child of God. We see in Manasseh's life, later in his life, that he was taken captive. Even while he was king, he was taken captive. And while he was in captivity, he, we see evidences of repentance, evidences of grace in his heart. We see an evidence that he was a child of God. We sing a song about that, talking about uh, the, the sins of a Manasseh or a Mary are covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they're talking about Manasseh, such a wicked king, and yet he was a child of God. That's not the focus of the message, but I just wanted to point that out. Praise God. Praise God for his glorious grace. But in any event, 
God had told them through the prophets constantly over and over that he was going to send the Babylonians upon them. And he even predicted the exact number of years that they would remain captive. And it was 70 years. Jeremiah prophesied about that. And certainly they were taken captive. That's the time of Daniel. That's the time of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And ultimately, the Babylonians were overthrown by the Persians, and the Persian king allowed the children of Israel to go back to Judah. And we read about that in the book of Ezra, but you can turn and read it there yourself sometime. So they were sent back to the nation of Judah. They were sent back to Jerusalem, and the purpose of them going back was to rebuild the temple. In fact, in the book of Ezra, I believe it's the fourth chapter, Cyrus the king uh, says that, uh, uh, that, that God gave him a vision, and the vision was that he should let the children of Israel go back for the express purpose of building the temple, rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Well, most of you that are Bible readers and have read that book know they started the work. They started building it. They laid the foundation. But then opposition arose, as it always does. Opposition arose just like it will every time that people are doing God's will. The devil does not care what's happening down at the beer joint tonight, but he cares about what's happening here. He will try to distract you. He will try to discourage you. He will try to turn you away from the work of God. He does it even to preachers. So I know he does it to congregation members. <laughs> My point is this, though, that in, in serving the Lord, if you, you know, the devil doesn't really care what you're doing when you're not serving the Lord. He'll leave you alone if you're going down the broad path. He likes that, but he doesn't like it when you get on the narrow path. And when they got back to the work of God and they started rebuilding that temple, discouragement arose, both outside from the enemies of God and from inside. And, the, at the, and what happened, as you know, is they were stopped from building the temple. And it was kind of understandable because the king issued a decree. To, it was a new king. He issued the decree to stop it. But here's the problem. When the temple work got, start, got stopped, it stayed stopped for 15 years. It stayed at a pause for a 15 years, a decade and a half. The work of God was neglected. And these weren't bad people. These weren't openly rebellious, wicked men. These were faithful children of God. There were only about 52,000 of the over a million that went into captivity that came home in the first place. They were The others liked the, 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 um, the amenities of the nation of Babylon. They liked staying there in the city. They didn't want to come back to the country where they had to work hard and, and get back to rebuilding things. But 52,000 came back and they were primarily faithful but what happened was they got complacent. And that's, that's what the book of Haggai is really about. It's about complacency in the life of a child of God. And you know what complacency will do? Complacency will put you on a path where the blessings of God will not fall upon your head. And that's what happened to them. They began to experience things like working hard all day and putting their money in a bag with holes in it. You know, you can't keep your money if it's in a bag with holes in it, can you? <laughs> All, they, they put their goods in the storehouse, but God blew upon it. And I don't care how strong your storehouse is, when God blows upon it, it's not going to protect what you've laid up in treasure. And so what God did, though, you know, I love the fact that God is so merciful 
that he not only gives us blessings when we do right, but he sends chastening when we do wrong. He sends correction when we're on the broad path. You know, when my ch- he's, a, he's such a better father than I am. You know, when my children were on uh, the wrong path, I felt like it was my duty, and it did, definitely was my duty, to go tell them and say, guys, you, I need to correct you and change your way of thinking or change your way of acting. You don't need to be on this path. God's so much better than me, and he can correct in such a better way. So we sent Haggai, and this is where we are in the book of Haggai. Haggai came to him. Haggai said, is it time for you to dwell in your nice sealed houses while the house of God's lying waste? That was the message of God. He said, now's the time to get up and get to work, not some other time. Don't keep putting it off. It's so easy to put it off. Now is the time to get to work. He said, consider your ways. Consider what's happening to you. And praise God, they listened. They listened and they got to work and they started rebuilding the temple. But immediately again, as soon as they got back to the work of God, guess what happened? Opposition and discouragement. There was opposition from outside that arose again. But you know, the worst opposition that we have is the opposition from within. They began to be discouraged. Just three or four weeks into the work, three or four, two or three months into the work, they got discouraged. So in chapter 2, God sent them basically three messages. The whole chapter 2 is a message of encouragement. But in verses 1 through 9, he says, look upward. The place that you're at now, the place that, you know, this temple that you're building now may not look like much. But I want you to understand it's going to be more glorious than the temple of Solomon. When they got to rebuilding this temple, there were some of the old ancient men, the men that were old, that had been a child when they were carried captive, that remembered what the, the temple of Solomon looked like. And they, um, uh, and they realized that, Solomon, that this temple was not going to be anything compared to that. But it, when, it, when it came time to lay the foundations, they wept. They started longing for the good old days. I've told you before, don't do that. You know what God said? He said, get that out of your mind and look upward. The glory, the, the desire of all nations is going to come. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The glory of this temple will be greater than the glory of the temple before. You know why? Not because it's more beautiful or ornate, but because the Son of God himself will walk in it. And then he said, look inward. He gave them a couple of messages, one about sin and one about faith. He said, Don't forget that when you're trying to serve me, that if you have sin in your life, that's habitual sin, that's not dealt with, just getting up and coming to church isn't going to make a whole lot of difference. Now look, you ought to come to church no matter what. That's not what I'm saying. And that's not what God's saying. But he's saying, don't just go through the motions. You know, John says, if we're confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness he's not talking about that in an eternal sense christ put away our sins eternally but we get our feet dirty every day when we walk in this life you remember when jesus washed the feet of the disciples he washed their feet and peter said oh not just my feet lord my whole body (laughs) lord said you don't need your whole body washed you just need your feet you know the analogy there is that they were walking out in the world. They had been cleansed by the blood of Christ, or were going to be. Christ hadn't died yet, but they were going to be cleansed by the blood of Christ. But every day they walk in this world, they get their feet dirty. Beloved, we get our feet dirty every day. 
We've been cleansed. We've been born again. If you've been born again, if you're a child of God, if you have a desire to the things of God, that means you're a child of God and you have been cleansed eternally from the sin that does so easily beset you. But there are still sins that do easily beset you. And those sins need to be dealt with by confession and repentance. And by the way, he then goes on to say in verses 18 and 19, he says, you can trust God to do what he promised. You can trust him. He said, the seed's not in the barn yet, but you know it's going to be. You can trust him to do what he said he would do. You can mark it down. And by the way, the most important promise there is not of riches or success in life, success in the world, but the promise that I am with thee, saith the Lord. We left it there last Wednesday night talking about how important it is to remember that God is with us no matter where we go. Now tonight, having laid that foundation, I want us to look at verse 20 of Haggai chapter 2. Verse 20 is the last message that God has given to Haggai to give to the children of Israel. And again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. In this last message, he's told them, look upward. Then he's told them to look inward. And now he's telling them to look forward. Look forward. You know, over in the book of uh, Philippians, I believe it is, Paul says, laying aside those things that are behind, I press toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. You know, too many times, don't we live in the past? I, I, I tell you, I live in the past more than I live in the present sometimes. I think about all the things that I've done wrong. I think about all the things that have been done wrong to me. I think about, I, I, like, to t I like to take out those little offenses, don't you? And just kind of like a, like a cow chewing its could. You know, it comes back up and it just, you know, I just like to gnaw on them and sit around and think about them. Sometimes I like to get off by myself and think about the time somebody said something to me that they shouldn't have said. Or sometimes I like to think about the things I did wrong and just, just wallow around in the, in the bad things of the past. God says don't do that. God says forget about the past. The past is gone. Look forward. There's, the best is yet to come, child of God. You say, my prospects look pretty bad, preacher. I'm sick, or I've, I've got financial problems, or I've got family problems. It just doesn't look like very much is, is on the horizon that's good for me. Well, I don't know about that, and I don't know about your individual problems. But I can tell you this, I've got some of those same problems. But there's one thing on the horizon for me that's the most outstanding event that's ever occurred in the history of the world apart from the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the return and glory of that same Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I've said this before to you, and I want to remind you of this, because let me just say, when I remind you, I'm reminding me. My wife had to remind me this afternoon after that 
after that file crashed and I lost all that information, she looked at me. It's, it's really infuriating, is it not, when somebody does that? She looked at me and said, I said, let me tell you what happened. This happened. And she said, and the Lord Jesus Christ is still on his throne. And I'm like, oh, yeah, see, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I, that's, I don't know if y'all do that. I do, and, but she's exactly right. And that's what brought me out of that funk that I was in about being down and out. And, but here's the thing, child of God. One day, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. Why not today? And if we live our lives as if the resurrection were just 30 seconds away, what would we do differently every day? What would our attitude be every day? Think about it. Everything, the stock market crashed. All my cows died. <laughs> I've got cancer. My, my, my girlfriend left me. My boyfriend left me. I, uh, my marriage broke up. But, but what if the resurrection were 30 seconds away? What would any of that matter? Now, I struggle to live like that, but if we could live as if the resurrection were just about to happen, is that not what Paul said we should do? We should be read the, first, the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians sometime. Read the 4th chapter of 1 Thessalonians sometime. And the idea, he said, wherefore comfort one another with these words when talking about the resurrection. All the struggles will be over. One day that's coming. See, look forward. Now listen to what he said in particular here. And I want you to remember who Zerubbabel is. Zerubbabel is the governor now of the province of Judah under the Persian government. But Zerubbabel should have been sitting on the throne of David. Zerubbabel was in the lineage of David. His, he was the grandson of King Jehoiakim, who was the last ruler to sit on that throne who God had rejected due to his sin. If things had worked out in his favor and nothing, was, nothing he did caused this, Zerubbabel found himself in a position where instead of being the ruler sitting on the throne of David, instead he was the governor of a wasted kingdom under the rule of a pagan king, governing a remnant of his people and building a rather inglorious temple, one that didn't have any comparison to Solomon's temple. I believe Zerubbabel needed some encouragement. God knew he needed encouragement. And he, he did this. So look what he said first of all. Verse 21, he said, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. In other words, God says to him, I have all power. Now, Darius was the most powerful king in the area in that day. In fact, he possessed the power of life and death, it is said, over all of his subjects in the sense that from an administrative standpoint, from a governmental standpoint, he could order your death and there's nothing you could do about it. But God is saying to Zerubbabel, I want to remind you that there's somebody greater than Darius, the king of Persia. He said, I, you know, Darius, for all his glory, for all his power, couldn't shake one mountain on this earth. And yet God says, I, I will shake the heavens and the earth. And in verse 22, he says, I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms and will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. 
In other words, I'm the one that's got all power. We're told in the book of Revelation about a vision John had where there was one riding on a white horse and the name on his vesture was King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We got a lot of kings in this world. We got a lot of presidents, of people in power, potentates, princes all over this world that possess much power. But there is one who carries all power. Jesus Christ said before he ascended back to yonder world, he said, all power is given me in heaven and in earth. And he didn't leave anything out. <laughs> he has all power. We're told about this great king uh, over there in Babylon who thought that he had built Babylon. He thought he had built it up. And, and Daniel even warned him about the vision that he had. And one day he's walking out in his garden. He says, it's not this great Babylon that I have built. <laughs> And you know what happened? Boom. Just like that. Almost like a lightning bolt. He was, he was turned out to pasture. He became as one of the animals. He began to eat grass as the, as the cattle. His, his fingernails grew as talons. His fur grew on his back like, a, uh, as it were, feathers. And he was, for I think it was five years or four years, he was out there. What we would say, he would have, we would say he'd lost his mind. And then one day he was restored back. And you know what this great pagan king said about the Almighty God? He said, He hath his way in the armies of heaven and the inhabitants of the land, and no man can say unto him, What doest thou? And no man can stay his hand. Not only can you not stop God, you cannot even question him, at least not successfully. Many people have railed against God. Many people have questioned God. But nobody can successfully stay his hand. Or even question him. He says, Zerubbabel, I've got all power. I can shake the heavens and the earth. And my goodness, had he not already shown this? Had he not already shown what can happen? The, 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 the Babylonian kingdom had come upon the Jews to take them captive. And that was at the express motivation of God. Now, now let me stop there and make sure you understand that God does not cause sin. He does not motivate people to sin. But what God does in his providential dealings is he suffers men who may be sinners to do things that carry out his will. You know, one of the things about Babylon that we read about, I believe it's in the 10th chapter of Isaiah. You say, well, Babylon came down as a nation to take the Jews captive. And then yet God destroyed them with the, you know, the Persians, allowed the Persians to come in and destroy them. And he says in the 10th chapter, I believe it is, of Isaiah, Babylon, you did it for your own glory. You did it for the wrong reasons. It's a big difference when we do the will of God for the purpose of doing the will of God. That's not what they did. God had shown already his very ability to, to, to overturn kingdoms, to overthrow kingdoms. He said, Zerubbabel, I'll shake the heavens and the earth. If I have to, I'll shake the heavens and the earth for you. And I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. He has done that for Israel here. He has shaken the nations for Israel. He has overthrown the throne of kingdoms for them. You remember what happened? In one night, in one night after a drunken banquet, that resulted in the handwriting of God on the wall over there uh, against one of the kings of Babylon. And one night, the Persians came in and overthrew the Babylonian kingdom and took it over by the providential dealings of God. He said, I've already overthrown the throne of kingdoms for you. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message.
If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.